0: All right, we are in week number four of our AHA series where we have been together trying to get some momentum when it comes to building our competency in reading and understanding the Bible. We've been doing this for four weeks. We're in the final week of this campaign. Uh, we have put together three different things. We've been all reading the same Bible reading schedule provided by Scripture Union. Uh, we've been reading about Bible reading principles in Pastor Jim's book, Context, in the community group setting. Uh, and then in the, on the weekends, we've been preaching a text from the daily Bible reading schedule. And so we try to take all three of these things and put them together to see if, as a church, we can just build our competency and confidence when it comes to reading the Bible well. And so I want to start this weekend with a bit of a confession, and I wonder how many of you are in the same boat as I am in. Uh, There are things about my life, I'm I'm a few months away from being 40, and there are things about my life that I still think fall into the childish category, and I wonder if you're the same way. Uh, One of these things is that I still like Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Uh, Another one is I still think SpongeBob is funny. If you come in my house randomly, you might see me watching SpongeBob. Uh, Another one has to do with when I'm at the dentist or the doctor's office. You know, you're sitting there in the waiting room, and there are dozens of magazines that you can choose from, and I just wonder if there's anyone else besides me um, that if Highlights magazine is one of the options, (laughs) if you still read it, I don't know what it says about me that I still pick up that magazine and read it. If you're a psychiatrist, perhaps after the service, you can come and analyze me a bit, but I will pick it up. And I will look through it. And there are two things specifically that I look for uh, when I open a Highlights magazine. One is the Goofus and Gallant cartoon. Uh, The other one is the picture where it says, find the hidden objects. Now, here's what we're going to do in just a second. We're going to put up one of these pictures where you find the hidden objects. What I need you to do right now is get out a pen or a pencil. I need you to get out your notes. Make sure you have your Bible ready. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This weekend requires a high level of participation on your part. You are actually going to write the sermon this weekend. And I will demonstrate that as we go along. I just got back from vacation, so literally, you are going to write the sermon As we focus in on what it means to read the Bible well and use the immediate context of what you're reading to understand what you're reading. All right, now, in just a few moments, I'm going to put this highlights picture up on the screen. All four campuses participating, I'm going to give you 60 seconds to find as many of the hidden objects as possible. There's 13 in the list, and I wonder how many of them you can find in 60 seconds. And what I'm going to suggest is this exercise of finding the hidden objects in this picture is the exact same skill that you need to utilize to read the Bible well. So it'll make sense in a few minutes, but right now, we're going to do this. Here comes the picture. There's your list. You have 60 seconds. Go. Got you looking in the window. All right, your time is up. By show of oh, <laughs> by show of hands, all four campuses. If you found three or more, raise your hand. If you found four or more, keep your hand up. Five or more, six or more, seven or more, eight or more. There's still a few up at the St. Charles campus, DeKalb, Blackberry Creek. I don't know how many are up. Nine or more, ten or more, eleven. 12, there's only 13, all right. Now that skill of looking at something and looking at it long enough that you actually start to see things you didn't see at first glance is exactly the skill that we're going to be talking about this weekend when it comes to reading the Bible. Chances are if I gave you five minutes to look at that picture, you would find all 13 hidden objects. But when I just give you a brief amount of time to look at it, everything doesn't readily jump right at you. And that's what I want to suggest when it comes to reading our Bibles and reading them well. That when we just read for speed, when we just want to read it and get it done, that we miss things. That there is, we undermine our understanding and we, we don't really fully grasp what it is we're reading. I don't know if this is in Pastor Jim's Bible Savvy Series or if it was just said in the context of this whole AHA campaign, but I heard this phrase and it made a lot of sense to me. We read for need, not for speed. See, we we don't read... The Bible, just because, right, we're told by pastors that you should do your daily Bible reading. Why should you do your daily Bible reading? Because your daily Bible reading makes you a good Christian. And on the days you read your Bible, God likes you more, and on the days you don't read your Bible, God likes you less. And this is the same motivation for praying, by the way, right? You do your daily prayers and your daily Bible reading, and somehow you are forcing God to like you or love you, or you're a better Christian if you do those things today, and you're a worse Christian tomorrow if you don't. And that whole guilt driven approach to reading the scriptures and having having a prayer life actually undermines your ability to read the Bible well and understand it. Because what ends up happening is you read it, you put it down, you pat yourself on the shoulder, and you say, I did my duty for the day. That is not why we read this book. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible, and he has revealed himself in the pages of this book. This, the Bible, is God's word is living and active, able to penetrate our lives, to shine light into dark places, to help us understand things about ourselves that we are not even currently aware of, to help us understand the God that made us and how we relate to him and what our lives should look like and what's been offered to us through the provision of the cross. We don't just read this for speed. We read it because we have a need. And when we just fly right by it and do daily Bible reading out of a guilt-driven motivation, we, we actually undermine reading it well and understanding what's in it. Much like if I, if I only give you a minute to look at that picture. Now, we are in the fourth week. Uh, we've, we've gone through three weeks. Uh, previously, we've talked about historical context Now, the whole idea there is that the Bible was written by real people in real points in history, in real cultures, with real things going on. And the more you can understand about those people and the culture and the situations, the more you will understand what you're reading. And so we have simply suggested, uh, that's why we always say that you should get an NIV study Bible, uh, because in study Bibles, they actually provide for you the background information to help you understand what it is that you're reading. So I always tell students when I'm teaching middle school students or high school students or college students how to study the Bible well, I always say don't start at chapter 1, verse 1 of any book. Start at the introduction. Read the introduction so you get all of the background information, then go to chapter 1, verse 1 and start reading because it's really important that you understand all the background information. So historical context. Then we talked about literary context which is simply an acknowledgement that there are lots of different literary styles in the Bible. There's poetry, there are letters, there are historical narratives, there are instruction lists. There's all these different kinds of genres. And you don't read poetry the same way you read a list of instructions. One is highly figurative, the other is very detailed and systematic. And so when you understand what you're reading, you actually read it better because you read it differently. In Pastor Jim's book, Context, which we've been using to study in community groups, um, he actually has a list of the different genres or literary styles in the Bible and provides some tips on how to identify what you're reading and how to read it well. So that's why we've been going through that little green book there. Then we talked about theological context, which simply means you don't draw all of your conclusions about what the Bible has to say about a topic simply by looking at one verse. But you look at every place in the Bible that it talks about a certain topic. You connect all of the dots. You look at the totality of what the Bible says on any given topic. Then you draw your conclusions. So that was last week. And now this week, it is immediate context, which is all about if you're reading a chapter of the Bible or you're going through the Scripture Union Daily Bible Reading, so they give you a small chunk of Scripture to read. How do you read that small chunk really well? How do you just, and if there's things in that small chunk that you're reading that you don't understand, how do you use that immediate portion of scripture to help you answer some of the questions you have while you're reading? So that's what we're doing this weekend. And I want to underscore here, once again, that we don't worship this book. We worship the God of this book. We worship the God that gave us this book. We worship the God that has revealed himself to us through this book. We have a need to understand what's in the pages of this book. And for that reason, uh, we've decided this Christmas to do something a little different and flip the script. Uh, You know, we're always trying to be outreach-focused around here, constantly trying to do things to, to not only remind ourselves, but to engage everybody that calls Christ Community Church home in outreach, in serving the community, in spreading the message about Jesus Christ to as many people as we possibly can in our communities. And so one of the ways we have done that is during the Christmas season, we have traditionally held a big Christmas performance where the message of Jesus Christ is shared, and we would invite as many people as possible to come. Well, this year we decided, instead of inviting hundreds of people to come, why don't we send thousands of us out? And so what we are doing instead of a big Christmas performance this year is we're doing something called Spread the Word Outreach, and it has three levels to it, uh, but one level is simply this gift box. We are producing about 6,500 of these gifts that we're going to put in everybody's hands for free. You're going to think about a family or a friend, someone that you want to get the Word of God into their hands. And so we're packaging these boxes. Um, they're, they've got Christ Community stuff on them. There's a Bible with a little message from us from Christ Community Church on the inside cover. Our, our worship teams and musicians and worship leaders have produced Uh, written and produced original Christmas music. That CD will be in here as part of the gift. We've also produced a DVD grabbing some of the celebrity guests that we've had over the course of the last several years here for WOW Weekends. Well, they're talking about how they interact with the Bible and what the Bible has meant in their lives. And so this is going to be a really cool gift for you to think about giving it to a friend or a family as a gift to them during the Christmas season. So just want to make you aware of that. Uh, in fact, the, this coming November, next month, the sec- one of the second Saturday projects is going to be assembling these boxes and putting everything in them because that's going to take a lot of man hours to do that. All right, with that being said, here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to take the same skill that you employed to find the hidden objects in the highlights picture, and we're going to apply it to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This was in our daily Bible reading schedule this past week, and so we're using it as our topic for the weekend sermon. And here's what I like for you to do. Make sure you have your notes ready. There's a big section that's blank in your notes for you to be able to do this. I'm going to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. What I want you to do is the same thing you did with the highlights picture. I just want you to look for stuff. In this case, I want you to just jot down things that stick out to you. Basic observations. You're not looking for earth-shattering stuff. You're not looking for cryptic things that no one else can see. Probably the more obvious the better when it comes to just jotting things down. All right? So as I read, just jot down some observations and jot down any questions you have while I'm reading. So if we get to a verse and you're like, what in the world is that or what does that mean? Just write it down. So your list is going to be a combination of observations and questions. Now, when I did this in my office, I got a list of 13 things. But I read through it like five times. So with me just doing one reading... Uh, chances are you're going to get like four or five things on your list because it also takes some time to write. I get that, so don't freak out that you can't write as fast as I'm reading. But as long as you get about four or five things in your list, that will be good for our exercise for this weekend. All right, so 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you're writing down observations and questions in your notes. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose... And will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. And then when the lawless one will be revealed... ...whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth... ...and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders... ...that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion... So that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. All right. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You jotted some things down. Chances are you have a collection of observations and questions. Now, I want to share with you my list. Not because my list is right and your list is wrong. In fact, we, we might have different observations or different questions. Now, that's not the point. I simply want to show you my list because we're going to work off of all of our lists together. And remember, I said you're going to write the sermon this weekend. And so here is my list. Number one, there's some kind of writing they received that's causing problems. Number two, it's alarming and unsettling to them. Number three, it claims that Jesus has already come back, right? No fooling. Like, if if you're a believer in Jesus and, and you think Jesus came back and you missed it, you'd be freaking out. So that's what's going on, right? All right. Number four, Jesus won't come back until the rebellion occurs And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Just an observation. Which led to three questions for me, which are five, six, and seven in my notes. Number five is, what is the rebellion that he's talking about? Six is, who is this man of lawlessness? Like, this all gets really weird at this point. In fact, we're going to focus in on this man of lawlessness for our study this weekend. uh, Chapter 2, verse 3 says, very specifically, don't let anyone deceive you in any way For that day, Jesus' second coming, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So, this weekend, we're going to try to drill down on that and see if we can figure out a little bit about who this man of lawlessness is. But let me continue with my list. Number seven, I asked the question, Where or what is God's temple? Now, I know you might be thinking, like, dummy, the temple is in Jerusalem. I get that. I get that the physical temple is in Jerusalem. But the scriptures also talk about the collection of believers functioning as the temple of God's Holy Spirit, that we somehow become a temple. And so I'm wondering if in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 it's talking about the physical temple or somehow it's talking about us. Just a question that's in my list. Number eight. They know what's holding him back. I have no clue. That's what I wrote in my list, right? So Paul says... Hey, don't you remember me talking to you guys about this? And I've already explained to you, you know what right now or who right now is holding back this man of lawlessness. And at a certain point he'll stop holding him back. And he's telling these people, you know. So apparently they knew. Guess who doesn't know? Right? Like so I feel like an outsider a little bit, like, okay, they know something that I don't know. All right, so that's in my list. Number nine. What is the secret power of lawlessness that he's talking about? Number 10, Jesus overcomes the man of lawlessness by his breath and simply by coming back. Number 11, the man of lawlessness further deceives people with signs and wonders. And then the 12th thing in my list, which is kind of 12 and 13 all combined in one, is I just noted about three quarters of the way through that chapter how many really negative words are used to describe people that are on the wrong side of the Jesus equation when he comes back? It says, Perish, delusion, believed a lie, condemned, delighted in wickedness. Like this, this feels like it has a lot of weight to it and it doesn't seem really good. And so I just just noted that. All right, now, that's my list. That's reading your Bible well. Where you are just reading it, observing things, and asking questions. And I want to say right here that your questions are actually one of the best tools you have in your toolbox when it comes to understanding the Bible. So right now we're going to zero in on the man of lawlessness for me to to help you understand what I'm talking about when it comes to your questions being helpful and how to understand your Bible well. I think a lot of times... We approach the Bible with a bit of intimidation because the truth is there are, there are places in the Bible that just get somewhat weird at first reading. Complex, difficult to understand. Some places in the Bible are very easy to understand, right? they are the hidden pictures in that picture that jumped out at you right away. There are other places in the Bible where you have to look at it for a while and make some observations and ask some questions because it's not going to be readily apparent unless you, you read well and you think about it. And I think a lot of times we just get a little bit intimidated by our Bibles or we're moving so fast that we don't have a fighting chance at understanding it well because we're doing the whole guilt, guilt-motivated approach to reading our Bible and so we just fly right through it and don't really read it well. You know, that exercise of just reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and making a list of observations and questions, it doesn't take but five or six minutes to do that. And it accelerates your understanding and your ability to read it well, more than anything else I know. All right, now we're going to zero in on the man of lawlessness in verse 3. And I want to talk to you about how, how do you do that, all right? So you're reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you see this man of lawlessness, and you're thinking to yourself, who is this man of lawlessness I don't understand this. So how do, how do you get at that? Like, how do you say, I don't understand that verse, and now I want to read this better so that I can understand that verse? All right, well, the first thing I want to point out is that you read in concentric circles. And here's what I mean by this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Jesus, preceding Jesus' second coming, there will be this man of lawlessness that shows up. And, and Paul is telling these believers... Like, don't freak out. Jesus hasn't come yet. And by the way, I told you this man of lawlessness is going to show up. So when you see him, then you'll get a sense that Jesus might be coming sometime soon. All right, so who is this man of lawlessness? You're reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. And you want to understand a little bit more about the man of lawlessness. You just move out a little bit. You read the verses before and after that. So move you would move, on, you'd move back to the whole chapter, which is what I just did. I read you the whole chapter. When you read the whole chapter... It puts the man of lawlessness in some context to help you understand him a little bit better. Chapter 2 simply starts concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. So the topic here is Jesus' second coming, his return to the earth. That's the topic. So the man of lawlessness somehow fits into this whole topic about the second coming of Jesus. So you're reading the verse... And then you're reading the chapter. This is not difficult stuff. Uh, This is stuff you and I learned in grade school, right? Your teachers taught you when you were in grade school that if you were reading a sentence and you didn't understand a word in a sentence, that you should read the whole sentence because the sentence will give you some clues as to the possible meaning of the word, right? We were all taught to read in context. That is exactly the same skill you use to understand verses in the Bible, You're looking at a verse, you don't understand it, so what do you do? You read the surrounding verses, you read the verses that come before it and the verses after it because there is a a thought flow going on, and so you start to to pick up some context clues from just reading right around that verse. So you start with the verse, and then you just slowly move out. So you have the verse, then you have like the paragraph, then the whole chapter, right? Then if you want to keep moving out, if you said, okay... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Now I've read 2 Thessalonians the entirety of chapter 2. Well, let me read all of 2 Thessalonians now. What is the whole topic of 2 Thessalonians? Well, I'll tell you the whole topic of 2 Thessalonians. It's Jesus' second coming. The entire letter is about Jesus' second coming. Chapter two is about Jesus' second coming. So now you're starting to like, at least get some clues here that the man of lawlessness, whoever he is, has something to do with Jesus' second coming. At least you now are starting to build some kind of foundation to understand this verse. So you go verse, chapter, book. I could, and then you start going wider. If you go wider then you could go say, okay, this is Paul writing to these people in Thessalonica. What does Paul have to say in all of his writings about the man of lawlessness? So you'd move out wider to Paul as an author. And so maybe you read 1 Thessalonians, which is the first letter Paul wrote to the people in Thessalonica. Do you know what the topic of 1 Thessalonians is? Jesus' second coming, right? So you have 1 and 2 Thessalonians, where the main topic is Jesus' return to the earth So, you have this in context. You can keep moving out. After Paul, you could say, I wonder what the entire New Testament has to say about this. And I wonder what the entire Bible has to say about this. Now, if you're looking at these concentric circles, if you go verse, chapter, maybe book, like if you're going whole book, you're getting pretty broad now. But if you go verse and chapter, and maybe all the way out to book, you're doing what we're calling reading in immediate context. You're picking up all of the clues from what surrounds the verse everything that's immediately close to that verse. As you start moving out, wider and wider, you start saying, well, what does it say in the the rest of Paul's writings about this topic? Or what does it say in the rest of the New Testament about this topic? Or what does it say in the whole Bible about this topic? If you start exploring that wide, you know what you're doing? You're doing theology. At that point, what you're doing is you're starting to Look at every place the Bible talks about a specific topic and you're starting to connect the dots to get the broad picture of what this book reveals about the topic you're studying. So once you start moving to the broad circles, you're doing the work of theology. Now, here's the thing. When I say that, some of you are I can't do that. And what I want to say this weekend is you can do this. This is not something just for the paid professionals. This isn't just for stuff for guys like me where they strap microphones to my head and tell me to say something intelligent for a few minutes. It's not just for your pastors or the theologians. You know, you you have your list. You have your observations, which are good observations. And you have your questions, which are good questions. One of the things you do with your list is if you have a question in your list just go read all of the observations in your list and the observations in your list will actually start answering some of your questions. That's what it means to read well. The things that are popping out to you will actually start painting a picture for you that will help you understand the questions that are in your list. Now, I want to answer all of your questions and it won't answer your questions fully, but you can take some ground and start to gain understanding. So you need to embrace your questions. I think the great, one of the greatest assets we have are the questions we ask of the Bible. Now, I've heard people in my family, not my immediate family necessarily, but a more extended family, where I've heard them say things like, um, you know, like, I'm not going to join a small group Bible study because I know so little about the Bible that it's embarrassing to me and I don't want to be exposed for not knowing a lot. And so we actually think that our questions are... Are, are somehow a negative, and I want to spin it and say, no, your questions are a positive. You know, I've, I've, you know, people that will just say, well, I'll just go to church and let the pastors tell me what to think about this. Oh, gosh. What happens if you go to a church and the preacher is preaching heresy, which means they're preaching things that don't line up with what this book teaches? Would you be able to know it, identify it? That's why this is so important. Now, I hope you trust your pastors here, but I also, on the flip side of that coin, say I don't think you should trust every person that stands in front of you, holds a Bible, and and talks into a microphone. And so we, as believers, need to be able to handle this book well, to read it well, to understand what God has revealed to us in the pages of this book. None of us are perfect at it. All of us have questions, and those questions are a good thing. You know, the other obstacle I, I notice sometimes oddly enough, is from people that are really successful in other arenas of their lives, right? So you have, let's say you have a a very successful businessman, okay? Like Amir in that video that you saw several moments ago. Amir is a great businessman, runs a great business, has great employees, very successful in that arena of his life. And what does he say in, in that video? I realized I didn't know a whole lot about my Bible when people started asking me questions. And so with humility, you know what he did? He did the same thing that he did in the business world. He made an intentional effort to get better at it. And I think sometimes, especially for us guys, when we get really good in one area of our lives, we like to live in that arena Because that's where we kind of get our ego stroke. I'm so competent in this area. And we don't often like to go into another arena because it can get a little bit embarrassing. So we tend to sideline ourselves. And so my guess is that perhaps some of the most successful guys in the business world at Christ Community Church are some of the least likely guys to jump into a small group Bible study because it's intimidating and embarrassing. What I find interesting about that is at some point you learned how to golf, right? At some point you went on the golf course and you hacked around for about five hours, lost about 1,800 golf balls and ponds until you got better and better at your golf game. And I want to say that's part of what community groups at Christ Community Church is all about. That you're getting together with other believers to encourage one another, to build relationships, to study God's word together, and to get better and better at studying God's word, which means you're doing your daily Bible reading and you have questions. You know what I would do with my questions? I'd bring them to my community group and ask my good questions because that's how we we build up our competency with the Bible. Now, I want to show you a picture here because I want to grant you something and then I want to take it away. All right? Here's the picture. This is a picture of Pastor Jim's office and Jameson's office and my office. And I show you this picture simply to acknowledge that we get paid to study the Bible. Okay? So uh, my job is to learn how to study this book well and to teach it to other people. That's my primary job. So I teach at the middle school level. I teach the Bible at the high school level. I teach the Bible at the college level. I teach the Bible in a weekend worship service context. I get paid to do it, which means every day, four hours a day, I get to study this book. I get paid to study this book, and I showed you the pictures of our offices because admittedly, we have collectively thousands of resources, both in books and software on our computers, and things on our Kindles, and I I have so many resources at my disposal. I get paid to go to school to learn this book better. So everything about my profession gives me a bit of an advantage. So I will grant that, but now I'm going to take it away. That doesn't mean that you leave it to the paid professionals, that they're the only ones that can read the Bible well. That is not true. Don't sideline yourself. The only thing I will grant when it comes to the advantages I have is that I can do it quicker than most people. And here's what I mean by this. Let's say we were reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and a challenge was put out. You need to study 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, figure out who the man of lawlessness is and why it matters to somebody living in 2013, and then you have five minutes to teach it to an audience in a clear way. And the race is, who can do that quicker? Who can study it, understand it, and then figure out how to communicate it quicker? I will grant you that I would probably win that race just about every single time because I do it hours a day, because I have training in it, because I have resources at my disposal that a lot of people don't have at their disposal. So I will grant that I could probably do it quicker. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. And I want to pull away all of those excuses and all of those obstacles and say, every single one of us, including those of us that don't think of ourselves as good readers, all of us, all of us, if we will apply some good reading principles to the Bible, we can understand what's in the pages of that book. So you read in concentric circles, and you work your way out, and then you start, you, you start looking at your list, your observations, and your questions. And to demonstrate the fact that you can do this, I asked Pastor Jim if I could do something this weekend, and he said, go for it. So here's what I did. All of those resources that I just told you I have at my disposal, I use none of them. So everything I'm going to share with you and everything I'm guiding you towards this weekend, here's where I got it. From my NIV study Bible or this Bible dictionary, which I will talk to you about in just a few moments. These are the only two resources I use to prepare for this weekend, in all honesty. The thousands of other resources I have at my disposal, I did not use. Now, if you're wondering why we always are pushing the NIV Study Bible, it's not that we get commission on it. It's, there, are, there are lots of study Bibles out there. We all know this, right? The NIV Study Bible, in our opinion, is just a good combination of a readable translation that's accurate, and it has good help tools in it doesn't mean it's the only study Bible out there, but we think it's probably the best combination of those two things out there for the general population of Christ Community Church. So we're we're constantly pushing this. Yeah, I can remember when I was 15 and I first became a believer in Jesus and I, I started going to church and then I started going to this thing called youth group, which I didn't even know those really existed. And I didn't know anything about my Bible. In fact, the only thing I knew about my Bible is that all the other students in the youth group had one and I didn't and I figured I needed to get one. And so I made my first journey to a Christian bookstore. And in my lack of knowledge, I thought I was going to walk into a Christian bookstore and how many Bibles do you think I assumed would be on the shelves? One. There's one Bible, right? Oh, no. Right? Have you been to a family Christian bookstore lately? That is mind-blowing, the number of Bibles. It is so confusing. There is a 10-foot wide chart to help you try to navigate which Bible you should pull off the shelf. There are women's devotional Bibles, and men's devotional Bibles, and women who like coffee devotional Bibles, and men who like to read their Bible while hunting Bibles, and someone came up to me after last service and told me there's a Duck Dynasty Bible out now. (laughs) All right, so the publishers have had a heyday with changing the covers on Bibles and putting a few articles in there that, you know, appeal to certain demographics of people, but, you know. We're constantly telling you you need a study Bible because there are tools in the Bible to help you study the Bible. I want to show you a few of those tools right now. When we're talking about reading the Bible well, here is one of them. These are called cross-references. Now, I fully, I fully understand for some of you this is a refresher course, and so you're tempted to tune me out right now. Uh, I will make an assumption here um, that is true of my life. The things that you know and the things that are very basic are often the things that you don't employ. And so my guess is some of us know this, but we don't actually do it when we read our Bible. All right? So I'm going to show you cross references here. You have your NIV Study Bible. This is a picture of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 from the NIV Study Bible. And there is a center column with all these little tiny letters and all these little tiny numbers that most of us consider is mumbo jumbo for other people. <laughs> I want to suggest that you use the mumbo jumbo. It's this simple. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 talks about the man of lawlessness. If you go to that center column, it says chapter 2, verse 3, and then it tells you the different places in the Bible where the man of lawlessness is discussed. Hmm. What should I possibly do with those cross-references if I want to understand the man of lawlessness? I should go read those verses. All right? Now, you, now admittedly, when you use those cross-references, you're moving away from the immediate context But if you want to understand, you use this tool in your NIV study Bible. So here's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to read those verses and those cross-references. And once again, in your notes, anything that jumps out to you that's repeated over and over, anything that sticks out to you about the man of lawlessness, anything that is jumping out to you, a general sense you get, just jot it down in your notes, okay? Now, don't freak out about the things you don't understand. I think a lot of us do that. We see one thing we don't understand, and so it blows our mind, and we just give up. Don't do that. Just focus thing on the things that you can understand and the general sense you're getting about the man of lawlessness as we read these verses. Okay, so here we go. We're going to look at these different verses. Mark chapter 13, Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Matthew 24, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Daniel 7, he will speak against the Most High, And oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and a half a time. Daniel 8 He will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Daniel 11 The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. And then Revelation 13. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. All right, now I told you you were going to write the sermon this weekend. I'm going to offer no explanation of those verses. I simply want to ask you a question. What did you observe about all of those texts when it comes to describing this man of lawlessness who will come? And as you start writing down the things that you observe, and then you take those observations, and you go back to the list you originally wrote when you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you look at those observations, you're starting to put the picture together. Once again, you can do this. This doesn't require a Bible college degree. This doesn't, you don't have to be a trained theologian. These are things that every believer can do if we will just slow down and have an authentic desire to really understand what is being communicated to us in the pages of this book. Now, the last thing here is, and this is the last thing you do. I think for some of us, it's the first thing we do, and I want to say it should be the last thing you do. Now, in your NIV study Bible, you go to the study notes. Some of us, we read our Bible, we don't understand a verse, we immediately jump down to the study notes and we say, study note writer, please tell me what to think about this verse. Don't do that, okay? Read it for yourself, read it in its immediate context, put together all the clues for yourself, get a nice picture painted for yourself, use the cross references, see what else the Bible has to say that might help you understand the verse you're reading, then go to the study notes and check yourself. Say, okay, I wonder if what my conclusions are like compared to what study note guy is saying. All right? Now, you read the study notes. So here's a picture of the study notes in the NIV Study Bible. Chapter 2, verse 3, the rebellion. About halfway down, there's this interesting word that is introduced. It says, John tells us many antichrists, tells us of many antichrists, And this may be the worst of them, the Antichrist of Revelation 13. So this is equating the man of lawlessness with the Antichrist, the big kahuna. Okay, this is like, an Antichrist is just anti-Jesus. So these study notes are starting to say there are Lots of anti-Christ, anti-Jesus people already in the world that mock Jesus, undermine Jesus' authority, tell you you are really stupid or naive to believe in Jesus. So there's already lots of anti-Jesus sentiment, anti-Jesus people running around. And one day the big kahuna will come on the scene and he will be really deceiving, really persuasive, really charismatic and deceive a lot of people. Now, this whole Antichrist word is new to to the conversation, right? It was man of lawlessness up until I read the study notes. But it tells me to go to, to a writing from John. So let's go to that verse. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And this is a lot of what 2 Thessalonians is talking about. Now, Let's say we don't know what the heck the Antichrist is, or we want some more information. Your study notes get you so far, but then if you wanted to go a little bit further, you can get something called a Bible dictionary. I would highly recommend that everybody has one of these at their disposal. You can get free versions online. Uh, this is the Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible. It's really quite simple. If you're reading and you don't understand something like Antichrist, You simply look up the word Antichrist in your dictionary, and there's an article. I printed out the article from this Bible dictionary. It's one page in length. But it does give you more information than they can fit into your study notes of your study Bible. Now, they also make Bible encyclopedias, which are multiple volumes. So all that means is the articles are longer, and they have more information in them. I would strongly recommend that every person has an NIV study Bible, and I would add to that a Bible dictionary. I've been telling students this for years when I teach them how to study the Bible, um, and I'll continue to say it. We've ordered them for the resource bookstore. They sold out at prior services, so you can either stop in there next weekend to pick one up or find another uh, venue to, to pick one of those up. Okay, now you come to the end of this. So you've done all that work. Now, once again, I have not told you anything this weekend that you didn't observe for yourself. So now the question is you go to the so what. What do I do with this information? So I've gotten some kind of sense of what 2 Thessalonians 2 is about, right? It's about Jesus' second coming. It's about this man of lawlessness figure. I've gained some ground in understanding who this man of lawlessness, like what he will be about and the kinds of things that will go on. I've, I've uncovered the fact that there's going to be like the big kahuna antichrist, but then there's already in the world lots of anti-Jesus people, anti-Jesus sentiment running around, right? We've, we've uncovered all of this. This is all stuff that you can do on your own. All of it. So then you get to the so what? What do I do with this? Well, if I gave you five minutes right now and said, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to take five minutes... Think about it and just answer the so what question for yourself. Just coach yourself. What should you do with this information? You could come up with an application. And as soon as you come up with that application, you know what you've done? You've done really good Bible study. You have read well in immediate context. You've done a little bit of theology by using those cross references. And as soon as you come up with the application, you know what you've done? You've written a sermon. No, all you have to do is have the guts to have someone strap a microphone to your head and stand up in front of some cameras and thousands of people, and you're ready to preach at Christ Community Church. <laughs> and I just want to say again, we can all do this. I did not do anything from this stage this weekend that every single one of you, from the youngest to the oldest, cannot do at your kitchen table. We can all do this. Now, I do want to draw three applications, just for the sake of time, and so let me give you my applications from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. First is for Believers. And I take my application for believers right out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 15, Paul tells them this. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Paul is telling them, do not be deceived. Do not be led astray. There is bad teaching out there. There is anti-Jesus power and anti-Jesus sentiment and anti-Jesus people. Don't be surprised by it. It is out there. You stand firm. You focus on the message. You focus on the truth. You focus on what is revealed in the pages of this book, you focus on the message that was passed along to you, you stand firm. Don't wring your hands, don't cower, don't hide under a rock. You stand up, you stand firm, and you hold fast to the truth. That's Paul's application. Verse 15. I didn't do anything there. I just said what Paul said. The next application would be for non-believers. Perhaps you are here this weekend, and you just don't know what you think about Jesus yet. Or you might have a negative attitude about Jesus. Someone dragged you to church this weekend. And I just want to point out, as you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that I do not see a pretty picture for those that resist Jesus when he comes back the second time. And I don't say that callously. I say it because it's the revealed truth, and you do not want to be on the wrong side of the Jesus equation when he comes back to set up his kingdom they are not pretty words. Perishing and destruction and condemnation, delusion, all of these things are not good things. And I just want to say, my application would be here, if you don't know what you think about Jesus, then figure out what you, know, what you need to know about Jesus. What do I need to do to be on the right side of the Jesus equation? You know, I'll see in, like, blogs and comment streams sometimes that people say, I read the Bible and it made me be an atheist. Or, oh, it's just, it's it. the Bible is just full of inconsistencies. and, And sometimes I just want to call BS on some of those blogs and comment streams and say, I don't really think you read it. I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and it caused me to be an atheist. I don't think you did. Maybe a few people did. Maybe. Like, the highly, like, really aggressive, intellectual, curious types sat down and read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, most of the time I think what's happening is we have presuppositions, we have pain in our lives that we blame on God. How could God be good and this be a part of my life? We're growing up in a culture that has the spirit of antichrist in it where there is anti-Jesus rhetoric, anti-Jesus attitude, anti-Jesus people, and we start to imbibe that. We have presuppositions. We don't really read this for what it is. We don't really read it well with any honesty or intentionality. We draw our conclusions that Jesus is a bunch of crap and we move on. And I want to say, if you are in that boat, you are standing in a very dangerous category. Jesus is the only name by which humanity can be saved. He is the solution to our primary problem, which at the end of the day is sin. Sin. Our rebellion against God and our desire to be God's ourselves. And Jesus is the only answer to that problem. And all you have to do to get at the heart of this is to recognize that when you mention the name Jesus in public, there is a reaction. Why? It's pretty irrational, isn't it? Think about it. If if I go to a public forum and I say, I follow the teachings of Buddha, People will pat me on the back, tell me it's nice, you know, all religions are equal, and you pick your moral system, I'll pick mine, and everybody's okay with it. I can say, I follow any, list any moral teacher, any religious teacher, you say you follow them and you're okay, until you say Jesus, and watch what happens. Why? Antichrists are in the world. It's irrational, really, Really, like, if we, if we live in a relativistic society where we say everything is valid, right? That's the, that's the mantra of our day. There is no truth, there is no right or wrong, what's good for you is good for you, what's bad, whatever. It's all okay, right? All religions are equal. Well, then why is everybody so tense about Jesus? Spirit of the Antichrist, the power of lawlessness at work in our culture And so this is the application for both believers and non-believers here. For the believer, it is, don't be surprised by that. That's what Paul told him in chapter 2. Hey, Paul said, listen, I've already talked to you guys about this. Don't be surprised by it. There are antichrists in the world. The power of lawlessness is already at work. One day the Kahuna will come. He'll deceive a lot more people. Don't be surprised by it. Students, don't be surprised when you go to school and there are people that mock you because of your desire to know God. To follow Jesus. College students, don't be surprised when you sit in a lecture hall on the university campus and there are professors spouting anti Jesus rhetoric. Just expect it. And for those of you that don't yet believe in Jesus, don't believe the lie. Figure it out for yourself. At least have enough honesty to look at the counterpoint of the anti-Jesus sentiment that's going on in our culture. So those are my applications. You might have drawn other ones for yourself. I hope that as one of your pastors that this series has been helpful for you. Our genuine desire has been to help you not only have the competence, but the confidence that you can read this book and read it well, and that you can know God better than you ever have before by reading this book well.